Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another Romeo Carey podcast. Welcome the world. That's the nice thing about podcasting. Podcasting takes your voice around the world. So this episode uh, takes us back to 2001. It's a, it's a little trip backwards, but it's an interesting one because I take you into the belly of the whale right into the center of Hollywood to what would be, you know, a main mechanism in the production of feature films for that era. I'm talking somebody who is the leading casting director of all time, responsible for casting movies like Chinatown, Godfather, Blade Runner, E.T., One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Marathon Man, Raiders of the Lost Ark, 1, 2, and 3, and Back to the Future, 1, 2, 3, Total Recall, The Deep Aliens, Poltergeist, Butch and Sundance, Footloose, Shampoo, Justice for All. I mean, these are just a few of the hundreds of feature films that this man cast. And I was on a mission to interview him because of his role in a couple of things uh, regarding the Timothy Carey documentary, which he he agreed to uh, sit down with me. Didn't have a lot of time, had an option to go to his house or a shorter interview in his office while he was working. And we squeezed in. He said, I wouldn't take more than 30 minutes of his time. And that's what we did. And what it did, what it, it, he let me set up all the gear inside his office. And he uh, then asked me when I was ready to go, We got in, I got interrupted. And he said, would you come back and just give me 10 minutes? So I left. Camera was still rolling. So I pick up 10 minutes of just exactly who he's dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And it is absolutely fascinating to hear the conversation about all the movies that he's working on and the and the kind of lengths that he has to go through to negotiate salaries and uh, just procuring the different elements of personalities that have to go into these films that directors, producers are, are demanding. Uh, more particular about this interview was I had some questions about Godfather, which he had cast and which Timothy Carey, my father, was involved. He was cast. He had the role of Luca Brazzi. And it just, uh, it was uh, uh, an interesting uh, happening that, that day that when I showed up, <clears throat> he, Mike Fenton, the casting director, he informed me that, you know, I have, I have a real important call coming in from Brando uh, about a film we're working on and that we're liable to get interrupted. So that's one call I have to take during this interview. I said, that's fine. And how, how uh, you know, talk about serendipity that I'm in there to talk about Timothy Carey in the documentary, but I wanted to really square on Godfather and what he knew about the, uh, you know, the situation. And in that same moment, who shows up, you know, the lead of Godfather on the phone, boy, what, what I would do to have the, uh, the speakerphone uh, on. Unfortunately, speakerphone wasn't on. But anyway, 
without further ado, and and Mike Fenton, sweetest guy in the world, absolutely unequivocally, patience of a saint, right in the middle of trying to really get through a day's work. So without further ado, I bring you the greatest legendary Hollywood casting director of all time, Mike Fenton. And away we go. Hi, Nicholas, please. Mike Fenton. Hi, Nicholas. I'm good. So what did you discover? Okay. 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 Right. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, hell. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Alisa? Yeah. Yeah, I have a couple here. What do you have? Oh, okay. Kit Kat shows available, by the way. Oh, I do too. Okay. All right. And okay. Well, let me get some dollars going here and see what we've got. And um, I'll put it on an email to you at the end of the day. Uh, or fax you depending upon you know what time it is when we get all the information put together. Okay. Mm -hmm. That'd be perfect. I mean seriously. <laughs> you put out an uh, and and uh, the late Mahalia Jackson could be in the background humming. No, I did not. But my guess is going to be he's going to be so expensive. I don't know. I don't see it till Monday night. Yeah. I mean, my friends produced it, so... Yeah, we're going to the world premiere of it. Yeah. No, that, that was pretty much it. Now, you know, I haven't spoken to all the other agents, but we've got calls out. But this was, you know... The, the, the tough thing is, Peter Lalonde, is that... Because the strike didn't happen, it seems like these agents are being somewhat tricky with their clients in terms of what they're going to do for their first picture out of the box. So, Absolutely. Right. Right. Right, for sure. Right. Wow, isn't that interesting? God. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. All right, I'll get back to y'all. Okay. Bye. Uh, 
I'm going to have to speak to David Schiff. Would you see if you could get just a feeling about money on Modine Stoltz and Dean Kane? And I better speak to David when we're done doing this little thing. Hi, Angela. Mike Fenton. How are you? Good. Sure. Yes. Sure. 818-501-0177. Yes, it is. It's my office. Thank you. Bye. Okay, Romeo, uh, Brando's calling me back, so we wait. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, and I dyed it white so that it I'd give me some maturity. <laughs> Oh, God, you're wearing that T-shirt. Oh, yeah, wow. it's, a, it's a prototype. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on my way to Utah. They're doing a Timothy you? Carey tribute. Really? Yeah, the whole town is celebrating. Are you going camp. to Salt Lake? It's three hours outside of Salt but Lake. where is it? Big Canal, a city called Big Canal. Population, like, 300. They've got an old theater that they remodeled. They put, like, a million dollars into the theater. It holds more than the city itself. And I just finished interviews with NPR and with uh, all the local papers in Salt Lake. They all make the drive. It's a... It's an international film festival. They only honor one, one, one person, one person, and all the films are coming from El Monte. Two, two <laughs> days of two days of uh, of Timothy. Yeah, and I'm going to cut this down here down to the wire, uh, and I'm going to keep. I'm not finished the documentary. It's going to be a yeah. while, but um, it's kind of nice. You know, he's, he's found a. All of a sudden, there's a new surge, a new interest in all his all his work. I just got back from Maryland. I was in. Uh, I was. Uh, in Maryland for a week. I've been around the world. Scorsese invited me. Said it was one of the uh, in, a, in a festival in Vienna. It was uh, they were doing a tribute to the greatest rock and roll films ever made. And Scorsese said you can't have it without including the world's greatest singer. So from, from that from that, uh, from that event, I've been invited almost everywhere. It's kind of nice. That's just great. Carrying, just carrying the film. Standing yeah. ovation. It played in London across uh, it. The double feature. I don't think they knew what it was. They thought it was going to be a music film, but it played. It played opposite uh, a fresh print of "It's a Wonderful Life." Oh. You can imagine the two. <laughs> <laughs> the juxtaposition of those yeah. two films is somewhat bizarre. Yeah. No, it really was. And the, the funny thing was because I got to meet the crowd, the two crowds. It's really pretty <clears> interesting. That you know, there's this. Emotion that Wonderful Life is an amazing movie. Just oh, without sure. a list, it's just unreal. Yeah. And it was just immediate, when it was over, it was immediate uh, applause. The world's greatest sinner, there was just complete silence for about three minutes until someone started it. It was great. And they both stood. Both movies, they stood wow. up. Yeah. I don't know if it was from the adrenaline, but no, every time it's played, people stood up. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. But um, you guys got to bring over some of his latest stuff so you can enjoy what, uh, what he did. No, I never, I never, I, it seems to me, I don't know if I, I saw it, 
clips from it or something? You may have seen clips. Yeah, yeah. but I never saw it finish. I've got to. I got to get you that. You'll, you'll enjoy it because you're one of the rare ones that could appreciate my dad and understood his his, uh, his versatility. Not too many people knew that. They just, yeah. He's the guy that you love to hate. When right. You just keep him there. That's typical Hollywood. But you kind of knew his range. You were you were trying to work him in other in other arenas. Did we use him in in that funny thing on the ship? Was it Peeper or something? Yeah. Did we use him in yeah, Peeper? Fat Chance. Fat, fat Chance. Yeah. Well, no, Fat Chance was... Oh, it's a different one. No, that's a different one. We also did Fat Chance, and he was in that. But Peeper was that one that, that Peter Himes did on the ship, wasn't it? Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. He ended up getting fired because some, well, they, they decided to do it all in, in, uh, in the Bahamas or something. Oh. He couldn't work out a deal. It was an Earl and Winkler. Yeah. 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 Uh, Winklers. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, did, it didn't, didn't it go didn't well. Happen. It didn't happen. He was in it. Yeah. But then they're abusing some double the finisher. Uh, Neither does anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm just going to, I'm going to grab a few. I, I didn't realize we'd done so many films myself. But why not? It makes sense. 200, more than 250. More than 250. Look at the IMDb. It just goes on for pages. Wow. I'm, who's going to catch up with you? Who wants to? <laughs> <laughs> where, did, where did you, you know, I might as well get started with this. Um, where's this light going? This light, if I kill this light. Yeah, you can kill the overhead. It's, it's fine. Pretty, it's a little green. Um, what's that ocean sound there? Do you like that? Because I can kill it if you don't like it. If you, it will be part of you. If we, <laughs> if we leave it in, it will be part and parcel yeah. to, to what we've got. It's actually, it's good. It's soothing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It kind of fits your uh, your aura, I think. Uh, sure. The only thing, as I said, that may happen is if Marlon calls back, I just have to talk to him. It's you. <laughs> Romeo. Hey, James. How are you? Fine job, Liz. Oh, that NPR. Oh, good. I'm glad it went well. Oh, great. Uh, I want to go a little higher. I don't like it. I like it. Maybe a little lower. Yeah, a little lower gives you the uh, the uh, the hero thing. <laughs> Hero of the casting wars. Yeah, I, you survived. You're doing something right. Eh? Yeah. We're getting fooled. Getting the uh, smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Okay, here we go. And in five, four, three, two, one. Oh, I'm in the office with uh, Mike Fenton. We're doing an interview today as a 7 11 2001. And uh, just going to ask Mike, uh, what? When did you first meet uh, Timothy Terry? Goodness gracious, when did I first meet Timothy? I think I might have been under contract to Paramount at the time. It might have been in 63. And uh, I was a contract casting director for Paramount Pictures. Had you seen him in anything before that? Oh, yeah. I'm sure I'd seen him in something that Kubrick had done before that. Had he done The Men by then? No, when did he do the man? 
Um, he did the man. Oh. I think he did the killing. He did when the, did he do the killing? When was Paths of Glory? Paths of Glory was 1957. Well, I certainly saw Paths of Glory. Right. So, and then when was the killing? The killing was before that. Just a, a year before that. 50, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, sure. I mean, listen, if you were in casting, you knew who Timothy Carey was. Did, did you, did, what, what, uh, how did, your, how did you cross paths with him? Oh, I believe that, that Timothy's agent at the time, if he had an agent or manager, somebody called me and said, uh, we think you should meet with Timothy Carey. And I said, it would be my pleasure. And uh, what, do you remember what the first project you may have cast him in? Gosh, you know, that's so, a long time ago. And so many other people. And so many other people, yeah. What, uh, did you hear any stories about him? Not really. I think there had always been a feeling that um, that Timothy, if he wasn't really wild about the director, if he didn't connect with the director, that he might have made himself a little bit aloof and maybe at arm's length from the director. But boy, if he embraced the director as he did Kubrick, he was obviously there the full time and did a very, very professional job. Uh, what did What did you make of him as a, uh, just as a, did you ever get to know him intimately? I don't know if you'd say intimately. I mean, I, I kind of thought of him as a teddy bear. Um, I'm fairly small, and Timothy was fairly large, and uh, I, I always thought of him as, as that kind of great, big, uh, gentle giant. Scares a lot of people. Well, I mean, I, I look at actors and and the roles they play, and they're not the characters who they portray. They're another persona, and they're another person, and they're they're they can be terrific. I mean, some people who play light or comic are really mean people. So I don't. I think the person is who the person is, not who they portray. Right. Um, with your fine sense of uh, actors and, and being a, uh, an authority on actors, uh, at least in my in my opinion, where where did he fit in? Oh, I I think Timothy was was a universal actor. I think the only thing that one would not be able to use Timothy for was a, I don't think he could play a little person. I think Timothy's size made him fill the screen. And I think to have Timothy pay, play somebody who was very laid back and very reticent would not have been good casting. I, I think outside of that, I don't think there was anything that Timothy couldn't have played. Um, what did you enjoy seeing him? What was the character that you most liked to see him portray? Well, I have such eclectic and odd taste, but I think if one really wanted to use Timothy, they would not use him as a heavy, because I think that was too easy, and I think that Timothy could do that in his sleep. And I would rather have seen him stretch, which he was certainly capable of, and play that gentle giant. Very insightful. Um, what... Um you had a couple. You had a couple interesting outings with him on a couple projects. 
Um, do you remember any? Does anything stand out? <laughs> I don't know if you'll use this, um, but you're certainly aware of it, Romeo. And that was the day that we were doing Godfather Two, and he came to see Francis, and he had the pistol with him, and Francis got so frightened that. Francis called security and they escorted Timothy out of the building. I mean, it was nonsense, but they made a Hollywood fable out of it. And for what reason, even to this day, I still don't know. I mean, Timothy would no more have, have hurt Francis than, than he would have jumped off a cliff without a parachute. It was all bogus. I heard, I heard that Scorsese was in the room, too. Scorsese was in the room, and he went under. He went under a, a, chair. a desk. Yeah, or he went a chair. Under a desk, but, uh, <laughs> well, I, I don't remember Scorsese. He wasn't being much in of a. Room. He wasn't much of a name then. He would, wouldn't have been someone you would have remembered. No, but it, it's interesting. I don't know what he would have been doing there. I mean, we were casting The Godfather too, and Francis didn't even want Fred Roos or Jane Feinberg or myself in the room with him. So, it's hard for me to believe that that Martin was in there. But maybe he was. I mean, I wasn't in the room. I just heard about it later. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, I was in. I was in the room. I accompanied him. Did you? Yeah, I was in the was room. Was Scorsese in there? Scorsese was seeing somebody. Yeah, he's actually seeing somebody. In in that office? Yeah. At the executive offices at Paramount on Cannon Drive that day. I, if I, I don't exactly. Since I was a kid, I don't remember exactly remember the location of the place. But. Well, we were casting, not at the studio, but at the executive offices on Cannon Drive, right across the street from what is now the Cannon Theater. And Fred and Jane and I had a little office just across the hall from Francis. And I remember I went and I got Timothy out of the reception area and I brought him in. And I brought him in to. Francis, and of course Francis knew him, and uh, I I thought that Francis was alone in the office. Let's see. It's a long time ago. Did you hear the gunshots? What gunshots? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. Why, did he have blanks in the gun? Yeah. He did? It was a yeah. scene. He was doing a scene. Oh, I know he was doing yeah. a scene. He was but... all dressed up like a doctor. Yeah. Yeah, we were having fun. But, uh, yeah, that was a... Well, actually... Coppola actually pulled the hand, the hand, the, the handgun. I mean, pulled the gun out of his hand and started firing at my dad. Oh, he fired back. Also. Oh, he did. Yeah. yeah. You know, so there's a lot of different stories with him. Um, uh, there's also another instance, uh, instance where he was going to be in the conversation. Yeah. Well, Fred was casting that. I didn't cast that one. And yeah. what happened on that one? On that one, he needed to get a physical. <laughs> Somehow, he didn't get a physical. Uh, he had a cold. And he was afraid he's going to, and they had to get the physical that day. Oh, Otherwise, he, it wasn't. And he didn't, he didn't want to take put a chance because he had a fever. Yeah. And so, I said, if you don't do it, you're not going to be in the movie. Yeah. yeah. And that was the end of that. Unfortunately, that would have been a really good movie. Alan Garfield played, played his part. Played his part, yeah. And, and, and got a nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. Well, that was a, it was a, a bit of a strange movie, but a very good movie. And, and of course, Fred Roos did a wonderful job of casting it. Um, I remember the, the one thing that I remember about Timothy was the, the day that he, he came to, to my office. I, I can't remember where I was at that time because I don't remember what year it was, but I remember that that 
we had spoken about our sons, and he had spoken about you, and I had spoken about Mick, and and uh, he had called me from somewhere and said, I've got to run by the studio. I have something for you. I said, come on by. He came to the studio, and he brought me this eagle feather that he wanted Mick to have. I was really touched by that. It was a very sweet thing to do. Wow. And the dogs. I remember the sh- it was Schutzen, he called right. it. That's yeah, right. and they were so well-trained, and he'd always have them around him. And uh, I was just amazed, because my wife and I had a German Shepherd, but he wasn't trained the way your dad's dogs were. He trained him himself. Yeah. He was the first, actually the first one to have a, a German judge come out. My mother was German. Uh-huh. When Kubrick and my father had something in common, they married their wives making uh, during the production of uh, Paths of Glory. Oh. Kubrick married the only woman in the film who sings at the end of Paths of Glory. Uh-huh. And my father met my mother. Uh, she worked uh, at a hotel. Mm. Interesting. But uh, because my mother spoke German, they could interpret the, the book as a guidebook. Oh, for the Schutzen right. training? Right, and he got a little group together, and they brought out a, a real official German judge, and they got the first degrees out here. Now it's pretty popular. But yeah, they spent uh, countless hours training the yeah. German shepherds. Well, you could tell that those dogs had spent a lot of time. Yeah. And boy, did they respect it. Yeah, that's true. Well, he used to walk. Actually, at one time, we had six German shepherds, and he'd walk five wide down the block. Just, um, I think we've got it. Uh, well, of course, we had worked on Godfather 2, and we worked on Beeper, and uh, what else did we do? You know, I don't know his credits, how his credits parallel my credits, but we were always suggesting him for films whenever there was a, a character that he was anywhere right for. We always suggested him because he, he was an extraordinary actor, and his presence on the screen was incredible. Do you see anybody imitating him these days? Anybody coming, doing anything like him? <laughs> Not really. Although as a young man, um, the man we used, the young man we used in Full Metal Jacket, who got he gained all the weight and committed suicide in the film. Um, oh God, what is his name? Um, I know who you're talking about. And he just had a television series. Um, he's much younger. He's in his forties now. Oh, I cannot think of but, but, but he reminds you? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because he, I, I think that, that Timothy's size was one thing, but I think his presence was so telling on the screen. And there aren't a lot of actors that fill the screen. I mean, certainly the Pacinos and the De Niro's and, and those guys do. Um, but in the character actor ranks, there aren't too many people who fill the screen the way Timothy Dan had a saying where he said the um, there's a difference between there's a there's a technical actor, the John Wayne, the uh, Clint Eastwood, uh, De Niro. Uh, most actors are technical actors. They learn to play themselves and they play themselves very well. He says, but after you after you learn to play yourself, you're supposed to learn how to play other characters. Never never play the same character. Never never play the same. Person. character twice right right that's the that, that's yeah. the art but he says he said the problem was you know they get paid they get paid money and they get confused about the art that it's not about going out on a limb and trying to do something you never did before so you're supposed to climb a new plateau a new mountain go higher than you ever went the problem is you lose a lot of friends you you uh, alienate a lot of a lot of 
a lot of people in that in the wake of that. Yeah. Um, is there anybody else that does that kind of stuff that you? Not today. Nothing I can think of. Who do you, where do you rank Tim Carey in the in the uh, world of actors, character actors? Well, I mean, obviously Tim, he was pretty bloody high up on that list, and like all actors, they are entities unto themselves, and each actor is so special. And of course, Timothy was very special. Very where did he screen The World's Greatest Sinner the, the first time that where there was an, an audience? I remember I went to it that night. Would it have been in the 60s? Would it have been that long? Yeah, sure it he, was. He screened it. You know, it's whenever he put it together. And it no, I know, but do you remember, well, you were too young. I'm, I'm trying to remember where he, the heck he did it. Vista? it. I seem to, I know that he, he screened it at the Vista. Did he do it at the Fine Arts or the Four Star? The, the Fine Arts. The Fine Arts. That's where it was. It was the Fine Arts. Exactly. Yeah. And he, he's showing it himself. And, you know, it came down to you know, he, should, he, tried, he tried to book it for a couple of weeks, and he said that he'd be he'd be selling the tickets, and he'd be giving the popcorn, and they'd see the movie, and they'd come out, and they'd say, "Wait, you're the guy." <laughs> he's doing it all himself. But uh, yeah, he did. And there's a lot of people that came and saw it. I mean, they really liked it. And, you know, you know the content. He could have sold that. It's a little. You got it. Thanks so much. Okay, Mom. Bye.